Open your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 5 is where we're going to jump in this morning. But I have to warn you, we're going to be all over the place uh, because we're wrapping up a series that we began a few weeks back on, uh, we call it the rest of the story. And that is understanding how Jesus is seen throughout the Word of God because a lot of people in our culture thinks that Jesus began on December 25th, that he's the babe in the manger and that's all we get. He's the cute little guy that rose up and went to the cross for us and died and rose again. And we say that's it. That's enough, which is amazing. But yet, if we really are people of God's word, we recognize he is all that, but much, much more. And so we want to invite you to enter in in this last sermon in this series. Because we've been looking at, through the, the lens of the Old Testament, uh, the prophecies, the teachings, the, the types, the, the moments where, where there are manifestations of what was known as the angel of Yahweh, which is really Jesus showing up, speaking on behalf of God the Father, that reveal not only who Christ was on the earth, but who he is to us. If you remember, if you've been with us uh, through this, before it all started, Jesus was there. Before it all began, Jesus was there. I asked the question, when did the story of Jesus start? And everybody has given different answers to that. Well, there was no beginning. There is no end. He is forever. He's eternal. But he was with us in the beginning. The word of God says in Genesis 1, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And he wasn't speaking about angels because angels don't create anything. It was the triune God, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit, making us in the fullness of his image. It's, it's remembering that whenever God showed up, Jesus showed up. Again and again, everything from the burning bush to the giving of the Ten Commandments, we see, we see the pre-incarnate Christ revealing God to mankind. Now, that incarnate, this is a big word, incarnation just means uh, God becoming flesh. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, God becoming flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. But his, his coming, is it, it points to who God is. And that's why in the Old Testament, everything points to Jesus. It reveals God's purpose, his plan on what God wants, not only from us, but wants to do in us. Something about the Bible, guys, is this. God gave us his word. And when we read in the New Testament where Jesus refers to the word or others, they're talking about the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. We have the fullness of that, right? But the Bible is one story. It's the story of God. And the first half of it in the Old Testament points forward to the times of Jesus and the fulfillment of his promise to be our Messiah, the anointed one, the King of kings and Lord of lords. But the New Testament ties it all back to the very beginning, showing God's plan all along to redeem mankind to himself. So as we read the scripture, we, we want to always have in our mind what Jesus said to some scholars in his day in John chapter 5. He was saying to them, as you read the scripture, speaking of the Old Testament, he said, you're reading about me. In fact, he made it clear both to the crowd and the religious scholars in John 5, verse 39. He says, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That was his indictment on those who knew better, who were the scholars. He goes on in John 5, 46, for if you believe Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Church, we need to be a people that not only get God's word into us, but we live it out. Let God live through us. We need to be a people that don't just search the word for knowledge. You can quote me thousands of scriptures and name every book in the Bible backwards and forward and not have a life with Jesus whatsoever. You can be a, a scholar and be far from God, or you can be a servant that, or a child that just knows Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. 
Because it all points to our God through his son, Jesus Christ. And today, what I want to do to wrap it up is, is I really want to go into really what I'm calling a doctrinal study, uh, not just a life application. Oh, we're going to have application, but some foundational principles that as a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you're here and you're considering following Christ, you should know because it shapes our lives and it makes us who we are. And to do that, I want us just to pray because I, there, there's a reason I didn't teach this the Sunday after Thanksgiving because you're all on tryptophan. You'd all fall asleep on me. But today you're alive and awake. Yes, yeah. you're, you're there, right? You're going to dive in. You're like, let's go, pastor, right? Well, let's pray to make sure that happens. Father, <laughs> open our minds. God, open our hearts. Open our ears, God. So often Jesus would say, he who has ears, let him hear. And God, it wasn't just for audible sound, oh God, it was for an understanding. God, it was an open and say, Lord, teach me. God, let me know you, Father. Let me know your heart for me, God. And Father, that's our desire today. So God, use this vessel, God. Speak through me, God. Lord, let the, let the word come out, Father, what you want to speak into our lives today. God, for we ask this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. There you go. So we have the Bible. And the Bible is an incredible book because it reveals to us the heart of God, right? It reveals to us the plan of God. But in the Bible, we, we see it's made up of many parts, right? We have, we have things like the Psalms, where we, where we learn to praise, and we learn to, we learn to walk through the dark places in life with our hope and our joy in Christ. We, we understand the truth that it brings to us. There, there's wisdom literature. We see that in the Proverbs and, and, and others, Ecclesiastes, where it speaks about how does practically do we live as followers of God? Knowing that, that we live in a sin-cursed, messed-up world. Can we all agree with that today, right? But there's, there's wisdom literature because we all need wisdom. We, we see the history. We love the stories, right? I, I, I'm so thankful for the upbringing I had, a, a family that took me to church and not just went to church but lived the life of Christ. But yet those stories, we read of David and Goliath. We read of the, the crossing the Red Sea. We, we read of the miracles of God and the Word of God. We also see the, the commands and promises of God. Because the New Testament says it very clearly, because we love Him, we obey Him. There, there are commands that line up with His promises. In fact, so many of the covenant promises of God to us are not fulfilled unless we step into them in obedience. He says, if you, then I will. That's, that's a very common theme you're going to find throughout the word of God. If you, I will. And God is always faithful to the I will. But there's also what we call doctrinal foundation. And doctrinal foundation, these are the understandings or the truths about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the anointed one that the writers of the New Testament assume that we all got. They, they assume that we all understand, but unfortunately we find out many do not understand because these truths shape us. Church, never stop being shaped by the Word of God. Never think you've arrived. Never think you're at that place like, I know all I need to know. No, God is shaping us more and more into His image that we, we may reflect Him into this world because the world needs Him. It doesn't need us. It needs Him. It doesn't need the church. It needs Him, but He only is revealed through us on this earth. So we're, we're looking in these passages today, not on how to live, but a series of passages are going to point to who Jesus is. Because here's the truth I want you to take home. When you know who he is, then you will know how to live. When you know who he is, you will know how it impacts our lives. And I'm going to do it by focusing on three gifts, two stories, and one incredible privilege. So three gifts, two stories, one incredible privilege, okay? So we're going to finish in that privilege today. But we start with the three great gifts. 
You see, in the Old Testament, there are what we call types or archetypes that, that speak toward who Jesus is going to be when he comes as our Messiah, as our, our Savior and Lord. And the three gifts were, in the Old Testament, they were roles or they were places of ministry known primarily as prophets, priests, and kings. I'm going to tell you today, I'm glad we don't have a king except for Jesus. I'm glad we're not relying on prophets, and I'm glad that I'm not a priest in the old way, all right? Because I don't have to go kill an animal on your behalf. Praise God for that, right? But yet, if you look at those, we, we all have different kind of images in our minds, don't we, of what those offices are like. In fact, if I were to kind of go out and say, hey, tell me what do you think a prophet is? The majority of believers in Western culture say, oh, well, that's somebody that tells the future. Well, no, that, that's not necessarily true. In, in fact, the prophets in the Old Testament were known more for foretelling God's word. They were saying, this is what God wants you to know. This is what God is saying. Now, there was a minor part of that that sometimes would come into and saying, this is what's going to happen because of that. But that wasn't the majority of it. And still today, we get caught up looking for prophets. Tell me what's going to happen to my future pastor. Well, I wish I could tell you that. But I do know your future. If you follow Jesus Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're going to get to heaven someday, and it's going to be amazing. But if you don't, it's not going to go so well. I can tell you that much. But yet we, we don't have this desire, or we, we have a desire, but we don't have this person who is out there like some fortune teller. We have someone who is foretelling the word of God to us. That was the role of the prophet. Priests so often, we, we kind of picture this this always man who, who has somehow a, a, a deeper and better spiritual relationship with God than we do. In fact, somehow they have an open channel to God that we just don't. I, I always put it this way. It's like they text God, right? You know, <laughs> And we're like, God, where are you? But, but that, that's not really the role of the priest. We're going to get more into what a priest is in our lives. King, king, we kind of understand. Someone with authority, someone with, with power, someone who, who is there to, to rule or to govern. But yet, even those descriptions, they're not really good descriptions. They're not fully engaged in what happened in the Word of God. So I want to kind of break them down, and I want to make it more clear to us what those roles were, and to look through them to see Jesus. Because one thing you need to understand in the Old Testament, when you see God working through mankind and through roles like these, prophet, priest, and king, they were temporary offices. Because there was only one who could fill them perfectly, and it was Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's only one who could be the perfect prophet, priest, and king, and it was Jesus. So they were temporary. They were doing their best, but they were certainly imperfect. And the purpose of God establishing those for the children of Israel is because he needed them to, to know his heart. He needed them to understand his word for them, and it was for their blessing and for their flourishing at life, flourishing in life. So again, there was a reason for them, but they were temporary. So let's define these as God does. So let's look at prophet, first of all. Prophet is not someone that's always foretelling. Someone that's not always trying to say, hey, in, in 2025, Jesus is coming back. Let me give you 25 reasons why. Yeah, that happened back in 88 and 89 for us old guys. It didn't happen. So, but a lot of books got sold. But a prophet is not one who, but a prophet is one who speaks for God. We see it even in the New Testament. There is a gift of prophecy in the spiritual gifts you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where there are moments where, where we need to hear something specific from God, and, and God uses that. He's speaking toward us, and it's so important. There is a certain element of preaching that is prophetic. It is God, God speaking through this to, to bring his word to us, but it is a foretelling. In, in the old days of growing up in the church, it was the thus saith the Lord moment, right? Because we all spoke in King James because God speaks in King James. 
But the predictive part was relatively small, right? It was just a, a little bit of that in there. And the reason humanity needed prophets in the Old Testament is because honestly, they were scared of God. He had taken them out of Egypt. He had brought them as a people to Mount Sinai. He was going to speak to them the, the commandments and the ways of life that they would flourish. And they freaked out. They, they, they were like, please, we don't want to hear from God at all because it scared them. He was unapproachable because of the sinfulness of man. And God really wanted them to know him, and, he, and they needed to know his heart and to flourish, so, so he appointed prophets, those who would speak from him toward us. Why? Because we need to hear from God. It's why we need to read our word of God today. It's why we need the Bible to not be a prop, to not be something just in our house to show we're a Christian. It's something we need to dive into. Why? Because it's God speaking to us. In fact, when you open the word of God, can I tell you, I hope this helps somebody. I had this habit long ago. It was taught to me when I would open the word of God, I would just take a moment. I would just breathe in because it's a living word. And I say, Holy Spirit, Lord, breathe this into my life. Let it come off the page. Let it not be history. Let it not be facts. God, let it be life. Because it still gives life to us today. So we need someone speaking to us, or they did in that day. A good example of, of a prophet in the Old Testament was Moses. Because Moses was one that God used to speak for him. Remember, he came down, he, he brought the Ten Commandments into the people, the other, the other minutiae, the rules of how they were going to live out life. But he was also someone that God could use miraculously, which was kind of a proof of a prophet. You think of Elijah and Elisha and others in the, in the Old Testament. Even Jesus will talk later. But remember, God would work through Moses, but Moses was this humble servant. If you remember when God called Moses, even out of the burning bush, to go and uh, be the deliverer, Moses was like, uh, can you send somebody else? He's like, you know, you're going to talk to Pharaoh. I don't talk so well. He says, I got you covered. I'll make it happen. And one of the things that I think is lacking in the New Testament understanding of prophecy is humility. Because anytime you ever stand in a place and say, let me tell you what God is going to say to you, you better be humbled by that. Because yeah. you get arrogant about that. It's a good thing God doesn't judge New Testament prophets the way he judged Old Testament prophets. Yeah. If, lot of, if not, a whole lot of people would have died back in 2020. Yeah. Some of y'all get that. Because yeah. yeah. they're predicting everything. When it didn't come to you like, oh, I must not have heard right. Well, you think? Maybe we ought to humble ourselves and say, God, your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher than our ways, God. But Lord, we want to just exalt you and not mankind. Whew, get me preaching here. So the children of Israel needed this role. They needed this prophet. So God gave them Moses. But they also needed a priest. I know we have a lot of former Catholics in here, and I know priests derive certain imagery, but, but really a priest was a gift from God to the children of Israel because they needed access to God. They, they, in their sinfulness, they could not come to God. They needed access to God. So he raised up priests. You, you would think Aaron, Moses' brother. But he particularly raised up high priests who would go in on the day of atonement once a year and make sacrifice for their own sin, but also for the sins of God's people. So if you break it down between prophet and priest, to me it's this way. A prophet spoke to us for God, where a priest spoke for us to God. They were the mediator in that moment. They were the mediator in that time. But again, temporary and imperfect. And speaking of imperfect, God gave them kings. In fact, this is the tricky one. Because up until the days where Saul became king over Israel, God never intended for Israel to have a king. He was the king. And he was going to work through prophets and priests, but there was a moment where, where instead of the people looking to God, they looked at the other nations around them, and they came to God to complain and said, we want a king. 
We want a king because we want to be like everybody else. And God says, I'll give you a king, but you're going to regret it. You see, a king is one who provides protection. Think David, right? But, but yet, it's this governmental role, but you find it worked out. But just like prophets and priests, the kings were imperfect beings. They were temporary, and they also caused great struggle sometimes. I mean, think about this. When, when they came to Samuel, who was the prophet, and said, we want a king, he went to God, and he prayed. He said, God, what are you going to do with your people? They, they're, they're wanting something that, Lord, you are. And God said this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and it's so important that we understand it. He said, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old. They shouldn't say that. Because you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. That was true. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel, and they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they also are also doing it to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them." So here's the Israelites, due to their sin nature, they, they, they're wanting a king. And, and what they weren't understanding is any man, any person in that place of authority still has a sin nature. Any man, any place of that authority still is a broken human and that needs to be made whole by God. That will often serve their own needs instead of the needs of the people. And that's exactly what happened to them. Here's what, here's what he warned them. He said, you want a king? I'll give you a king. But guess what? He's going to take your sons. He's going to put them in the army, all right? And they're going to run before him in the chariots. In fact, they're going to, they're going to serve him. He's going to take your daughters. And he's going to make them perfumers in the palace, and they're going to serve his needs. And he's going to come along and see your servants. He goes, I want the best servant, and they're going to serve me. Oh, that donkey, that one's mine because that's the best donkey. Your harvest, oh, that's mine as well. And on and on and on. He says, look, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a king, but he's a man, and there's a selfishness in him that's ultimately going to serve him instead of me, and it's going to cost you everything. In fact, you're going to pay tribute to him. Because that's the only way he can be your king. And this is what he said to them at the end of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 8, 18. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Church, we need to be careful what we ask for. We need to be careful what we think we need. God, if you really love me, this is what you do in my life. And the very thing you may be asking for may be the worst thing that could happen in your life. That's why we've got to be sensitive to him and allow God to work out his work through our lives. So this idea of a king, it, it's why we don't place our hope in government. We place our hope in God. Yeah. Right. There's no perfection on this earth. There's only one perfect. It is God. Can we <laughs> say yes to that? So, so what is led in the flesh is usually corrupted by the flesh desires to please itself. Guys, that's why we need accountability. Right. That's, why, that's why we need accountability in the church. Can I get a yes to that? There is no perfect pastor or preacher or, or leader in the church. We are men or women. We are fallible. We are in need of prayer. We are also in need of accountability. When, and when you come to on-ramp today, you're going to hear this. You have every right to step up and say, Pastor, I want to talk to you about that because I'm seeing something in your life that needs to be corrected. And I'm like, bring it on. Because I'm just a man. and I, I, Before God, I fear God much more than I fear you. But God will speak to you sometimes to correct me. 
You see, all of these gifts were given by God, but they were temporary. But they all pointed to the one who would come, the Messiah, Jesus, the perfect prophet, priest, and king. So let's, let's look through some stories and let's see how they foreshadowed who Jesus is. So we had three gifts, but let me give you two stories, all right? The first one's pretty straight up. It's a story that involves Moses again. And Moses, he was giving instruction from the Lord and, and to the people of Israel. And he's reminding them that God really wanted to speak to them, but they were afraid of God. And here's what God spoke to Moses in Deuteronomy 18. It'll be on the screen this morning. It says this, and the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken, meaning they were right. They, they should be afraid of me. And they were right in what they were spoken. But I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. In other words, I will hold him accountable to those words. So what he was saying there is God was saying, Moses, you're doing a good job being a prophet to the people, but there is coming a day where I'm raising up a prophet. And that prophet is going to speak only what I say to him. And the people that listen are going to be held accountable to them. And we see that prophecy lived out through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, verse 14, right after the feeding of the 5,000, that amazing miracle where he took a, a Lunchable and basically fed everybody, right? Uh, it says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, in other words, the people, when they saw what Jesus did, here's what they said. This, in, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. In other words, all their upbringing, they knew one was coming. All their days, they longed for the one to come. All their days, they've been taught the Messiah is coming. He's going to be a prophet, priest, and king. And they see him doing miracles and say, look, this is indeed the prophet. And yet, they still didn't believe. Because many times, like we do, they just wanted him to meet their needs as they saw them. They wanted a Messiah, but really what they wanted was a bread Messiah. That's why they chased him around the lake, and they're like, hey, aren't you going to feed us again? What are you going to do for me instead of what are you going to do in me? And what are you going to do for me? You see, church, he was greater than any of the other prophets. Jesus, he, he didn't have a sin nature, so he didn't come to serve himself. He, he is not one who was going to die and have to be replaced. He was eternal. And because of that, he is the perfect prophet. Because why? Even now, he speaks God's words to his people. He is the word. He's the living word. In fact, he said in John's gospel, toward the end of John chapter 12, when he walked on the earth, he said, what I say is only that which the Father tells me to say. I'm here only to bring God to you. I'm here only to speak his heart to you. Because so made Jesus the ultimate prophet. Who else would know the heart and the mind of God except the, the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? But not only did he know the mind of God and the heart of God, he said, watch me how I live. Listen to what I say, and then you will see God. In fact, to the disciples, he said, how long have I been with you guys? And you still don't understand who God is? How long am I going to show you this? Why? Because he came as that perfect prophet on this earth. And I love the thing about Jesus. Jesus never in the New Testament said, thus saith the Lord. He said, I say. Yeah. I say. Church, let me tell you, when you have Jesus, you have all of God. When you have Jesus, you've got his heart. When you have Jesus, you have his mind. When you have Jesus, you have his power in your life. And we need to recognize that because he is the perfect prophet come to this earth. And it was the very reason that when he said, I say to you, that was the very reason they crucified him. So they said, you blaspheme. How can you make yourself out to be God? He said, I just am. <laughs> I just am. You can receive me or kill me either way. I'm still God. 
And ultimately, he went to the cross for us. He broke the power of sin. Praise God. And he, and, he, and he arose from the grave, and he broke the fear of death and the fear that captures our hearts on this earth. And he says, put your trust in me, and I will lead you in a way that honors God. So the first story we see is, is pretty straightforward. It is, our, it is our prophet found through Jesus. The second one's a little different. Look at your neighbor and say, different. Would you do that? Because it involves a man that I think everybody needs to say his name this morning, so you'll see how bad a hard time I have. How do you pronounce that? I heard it. Melchiz, Melchiz. I don't know. I don't know. I would say his mama knows, but the word said he had no beginning or no end. Yeah, you want a strange story in the Bible? Follow me for the next few minutes, all right? If you say you like smoke coming out of my ears, that's been like my study this week. Like, dear God, why did you bring me to this passage? But yet in Melchizedek, we see something about Christ that we need to recognize today. In Melchizedek and his story, we see something about Jesus that is so critical to our walk with him on this earth today. Because Melchizedek was introduced in the word of God as both a priest and a king. That, that, that's the only combo in the Old Testament that ever worked, a priest and a king. In fact, uh, if, you, if you read about Uzziah, he's the only king that ever tried to make that happen, and God gave him leprosy. It's like, no, you don't get out of your lane, bro. We stay where you are. But Melchizedek is introduced as both a king and a priest. And he comes into the story uh, when Abraham had to go rescue his nephew Lot. In fact, Lot had been captured by a, by a king, and, and, and other kings went out to defeat that king, and they, they won victory. Abraham, God gave Abraham victory over his enemies. He rescues Lot, and on the way back, he encounters this man named Melchizedek. Pick it up in Genesis 14, beginning in verse 17. After his return from the defeat of, yeah, that word, Chedorlaomer. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shava. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the most high God. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So here's Melchizedek. Out of nowhere, he steps into the scene where Abraham is coming back with Lot and the spoils of war, and he, he's introduced as the king of Salem, which is very interesting because the king of Salem, ultimately Salem became Jerusalem in the Hebrew Bible before Jerusalem even existed. It says he was the first royal priest in the Bible. He, he not only was the first royal priest, but get this, he was a Canaanite, but he knew Jehovah. He, he knew Jehovah. Abraham was the one the promise came through, but he runs into this guy named Melchizedek, and he was known as a priest most high, the priest of El Elyon, who, who serves the one who Abraham acknowledges as the Lord God most high, the God, the creators of the heavens and the earth. And he's understood as being a genuine priest of God before there ever was priests. He's known as a, general, a genuine priest of the Lord before Israel ever existed, before the Levites were ever set up, and before any structure of all was given to worship. And here comes this man out who is a priest of the Most High God. He brings out bread and wine. What does that sound like? Like communion, right? Are you, are you seeing the types here? He comes out to Abraham who's weary of war. He's victorious, but he's coming back, and he comes in and refreshes him. And he points to the day where the blood and the body of Christ is what's going to make us whole. 
He points to the day where we're going to see the completeness found in the, the perfect priest that is Jesus. And Abraham, in return, recognizes what God is doing in this moment. And, 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 he, and he returns from that blessing. He blesses Melchizedek by paying him a tithe, a, a tenth of all that he has. And in doing so, what he's literally saying is, you are superior spiritually than I am. And I'm going to honor that. And I'm going to honor your place. Oh, years later, we'll read that the Israelites were required to tie to the Levites and tie to the temple. That's the way it was supported. But before that even happened, Abraham recognized this, and he steps in that place, and he blesses Melchizedek. And I, and I just want to say, this is not a sermon on tithing, but to all my friends who always like to say that tithing's of the law, you don't read the Bible then. This was way pre-law, way pre-law. And it came, comes through even in the New Testament. So we don't hear about Melchizedek after that for a long time. It's kind of one of those stories you read in the Bible and go, huh, <laughs> wonder what that was about. Because he disappears. We don't, we don't see much else about him. Till in the Psalms, David brings him up. In fact, in Psalm 110, David said, as he was projecting in this, in this kingly, but also kind of prophetic mind, where he was saying, look, I know what God has promised me. And he spoke it this way. He said, the Lord said to my Lord. In other words, God is saying to one who's going to come through my lineage, who is going to be ultimately the Lord of all. He said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This is a messianic psalm. It foretells the coming of Jesus as priest and king. And David is speaking into that promise, but he throws a twist in there. He says, there's one who's going to come, he's going to be the ultimate priest, and God's going to set him on the throne, but he's not going to come the way other priests come. In fact, he's not going to come through the lineage of Aaron. He's not going to come through, through, the, through the Levitical priesthood. He's going to come as one through the order of Melchizedek. Verse 4 says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we see in Genesis, he shows up. Oil and wine, blessing Abraham. Abraham blesses him back. We see in Psalms, David saying, the Lord said there will be the Lord that's going to come out of my lineage, and he's going to be on the throne someday, but he's not going to be like these earthly priests who are fallible, who, are, who have beginning and end, who, who have to be born of a certain family. No, he's coming in the order of Melchizedek, who had no beginning and no end. So we fast forward to the book of Hebrews. Are you still with me this morning? Say yes. So we fast forward to the book of Hebrews. Don't you love Hebrews? Have you read Hebrews lately? Come on. It's amazing. Because Hebrews is basically saying, Jesus is greater than anything you can think of. That's, that's Hebrews right there. And in Hebrews, he starts out in Hebrews 1.3, just proclaiming that. Speaking of Jesus, that he is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purifications for sin. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you have a paper bottle, you can write out on the side there, he is the king of kings. He is the, he's the imprint of the character of God. He upholds the universe. And by his sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. We just need to say praise God right there, somebody. Come on, praise God. That's what he's about. But you go forward into Hebrews, let me just kind of break it down for you. In chapter 1, it says, hey, Jesus is superior to any prophet that's ever existed. Don't even compare him to Moses or Elijah. They, they are less than him. It goes on in chapters 1 and 2 and says, hey, you guys that want to talk about angels all the time, oh, Pastor, let's study about angels. Angels are servants. They're not to be glorified or praised. And he's superior to the angels. 
Goes on to chapter 3, and this really, when he starts messing with, the, with, the, with the, the, the leaders of Judaism in that time, he says, hey, Jesus is greater than Moses. And they're like, oh, no, we got to kill him now, because you don't talk about Moses, right? But he says, Jesus is greater than Moses. Not only that, he's greater than Joshua. And from chapters 5 through chapter 10, Jesus says, it says that Jesus appeared to the Old Testament priesthood. In fact, he is our great high priest. And in chapter 5, once again, Melchizedek shows up. In Hebrews 5, verses 5 through 6, if you follow, it says, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Do you see the humility of Christ? He didn't step in and say, here I am, I'm the priest. He was, he was appointed by God our Father. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever. After the order of who? Melchizedek, right? Now, now remember, Melchizedek's the type of Christ who is always and always will be the king of righteousness and the king of peace, which perfectly frames the ministry of Christ. He is righteous and he brings peace. He is that royal high priest. But in chapter 7, it goes a little further to kind of explain. It says, for this Melchizedek, 7-1, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And him Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. So here's this type of Christ. No beginning, no end. No genealogy, no flaw. No sin nature, no, no, no pressure of being man. Melchizedek disappears from the scene. But yet he is the fulfillment. Christ is the promise that was made back in Genesis by his meeting with Abraham. From the very beginning, God was saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to work through men. I'm going to set up things that, that proclaim me. There'll be prophets, there'll be priests, there'll be king, but they're all temporary. They will all let you down. They will all fail, but there is one coming who is the perfect king, the perfect priest, the perfect prophet. He is my son, Jesus. That's who we serve today. In Hebrews 7, it says this about the character of our Lord. It says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. In other words, they all had a time clock on them. They all died. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Get that picture. He is able to save to the uttermost. That's why you never look at a human and say, I don't think God can redeem him. That's why you never look at a situation, I don't think God can redeem that. The old preachers of my day would say, God can save from the uttermost to the guttermost. Not sure what the guttermost had to do with anything, but everybody said, amen. We're all able. No one's too far from our God. But not only is he saving right now, he's making intercession for you, church. You may have come today and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I do this circumstance. I don't know who to do this person. The Son of God, the Most High, the perfect high priest, right now saying, Father, I know what they're going through. And he's pleading, and he's pointing out to God the grace that you need and the mercy that you need, because he's been there. He's been tempted in every way we are, yet he didn't sin. And now he lives to make intercession for us until someday when the Father will say, go get your bride, and we'll no longer need his prayers. Verse 26, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, 
unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. You're seeing again this laying out of Jesus. And finally in Hebrews 8, 1, <laughs> I like how the Hebrew writer put it. Now the point of what we're saying is, thank you for making it clear. Now the point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Church, today, we don't have to go looking for a prophet to tell us what God says. We have the word of God in us, for us. In fact, if you come to me and say, Pastor Mike, what is God saying to you about me? What, what do I need to know? Where am I going? I say, I've got two words for you. One's called Bible. One's called altar. Go read your word and pray. We have one that will speak rightly to you. But you don't need me as an intermediary. We don't have priests that stand between us and God. Because we have the perfect mediator, Jesus Christ. And when you pray in Jesus' name, it's not just like a, a tag on the end of an email. It's not like a, a little squiggly or something. No, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying what we are praying comes with all authority and power that has been given to us to come boldly into the throne room of grace of our God and say, Father, I need grace and I need mercy. In Jesus' name. Not because of me. Not that I earn it. Not that I deserve it, God, but only because your son came and gave his life for us. So we see the resurrected king reigning as our, our high priest now, and it gives us this better hope when we approach our God. And now, as followers of Jesus, church, we have the privilege. We boldly come into the throne room. We boldly. Do you see yourself that way? When you come into prayer, you know, the, the old hymns that say, Lord, I come just, just as a worm. Here I am. I'm just nothing, right? There's this false humility in some sense of that. Yes, we are humble, but we've been given access. If I've been given access, I, I have the key. And if I have the key, I know where the key goes and where it works. And when I walk in there, I have the authority to walk in there, not because I've got something, because I've been given the key. And the key is the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed for my son and your son. And now we can boldly come to the throne of grace. Why? Because of Jesus' eternal priesthood. Because he will forever reign. <laughs> he will ever intercede until the day he comes to bring us home. So, God knew it. We needed someone to tell us the thoughts and ways of God, so he gave mankind prophets in the Old Testament. Now God himself speaks to us through Jesus Christ. We needed protection as the children of Israel wandered in the formation of their people, and God gave them kings, very imperfect kings. We needed, they needed someone to go on, on their behalf before God, and God gave them priests. But now we have the perfect high priest who became the sacrifice once and for all for all of our sin. That's why on the cross he declared it. It is what? Help me. You know what that says? Paid in full. It means there's nothing else you can do. There's nothing else you can sacrifice. There's nothing else you need to do other than to believe and look upon him. Remember the snake lifted up? That was a few weeks ago. You got to take it from just believing it to stepping into it. And that's where salvation's found. It's not just saying, I believe Jesus is the son of God. The demons know that. It's saying, I believe that he died for my sin, and he wants me to be his son or daughter, and he wants to invite me into his family, and I come by repenting, and I say, here I am, God. Forgive me and come into my life. Make yourself at home here. So how do we wrap this up? <laughs> Thousands of years before God was 
before Christ, God was, before he came on the earth as the Messiah, as, the, as Emmanuel, God with us, thousands of years before, God was orchestrating his plan so that we can boldly claim him as our Messiah, him as our Savior, him as our Lord. Moses, Aaron, David, they had greatness, but none of them were perfect. None of them was enough. And everything pointed to Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. And it leads us to that last thing I said. I had three, three gifts, two stories, and one incredible privilege. And church, it is an amazing privilege God has for us. Listen close, because this will absolutely change your life. We will never be prophets. It's a gift. There are people that have the gift of prophecy. But you show up and say, hey, Pastor Mike, I'm a prophet. Get out of my way. I'm like, step back, brother. Sister. Because God gave pastors, shepherds, teachers. The only prophet I submit to is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're never going to be prophets. We're never going to be kings. Can we all say collectively, thank God, because we would destroy the world in like 30 minutes. But you know what God has called us to be? Priests. We are part of a royal priesthood. You know that? We, we're not going to be prophets. We're not going to be kings, but we do get to function as priests. We get to boldly go before God as any other priest got to go in. We don't bring a sacrifice or, or fear of death and approach him. We come through the blood of Jesus. Why? Because he said, I've made you my royal priesthood. Look in 1 Peter. We're going to wrap it up here. 1 Peter 2, it lays it out to us. And I want you to hear this, and I want you to own it. I want you to individualize this this morning. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, will, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How many have been called out of darkness today? Come on. How many know we need his light? Yes. We've been called out of darkness to his marvelous life. He says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passage of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Church, God has given you and I an assignment. He gave us the assignment of passing on his word to the next generation. He's given us the assignment of knowing his word and engaging others they may know him. He's also given us the assignment of bringing others to him. That's our witness. That's our testimony. And we have this amazing privilege. We are given a royal priesthood. We have this function that we can go before God. We don't have to go kill an animal and fear that we're going to die when we approach God because God has made a way through his son. But we don't think of ourselves that way. We, we continually look for the office. We continue to look for the person that's going to represent that for us. In fact, I believe modern culture has done a disservice by, printing, by presenting a stereotype of a priest or a pastor. I, I call it the holy man myth. Well, I need prayer, and if, if the pastor doesn't pray for me, then God's not going to move. I think I've said it a lot around here. If I'm sick, I'm going to walk back to the kids' church and find the little and say, hey, pray for me. Because you know what? God hears their prayers just as much here as mine. Pastor, we need you to come to the house. If you don't come to the house, then it's not going to be done. And we know that you... No, hold on. Can you not anoint and pray over your place? I don't mind coming because you usually feed me good food. That's awesome. I love it. But what I want to get you to understand is this. You've been giving a royal priesthood. Listen, 
a pastor, a priest, whatever you want to call them, it's not someone that's just closer to God or better than you or any, has any kind of different access. God doesn't have like this party line with me and not with you. He speaks to his children, but there's different roles and different callings, different assignments we all have. We're called to fulfill those. That's why the Lord clearly set apart the office for, for pastors and, and what I do, but it's not that I'm better or I have better access. No, I just stand before him many times to do what I'm doing right now. And that's to set the table that you may know him. In some traditions, people think they've got to confess their sins to a priest to find forgiveness. Thank God we don't do that. Some of y'all give way too much information. I go home like, God, clean out that. I don't want to even think about that. Next time I see them, I'm like, oh, oh, no. In fact, the Bible says this, which we never do. He says we are to confess our sins to whom? One to another, right? In fact, it's found in that same verse out of James when we used to hold hands and pray for each other into the service where we pray for each other. The Bible says we confess our sins to each other that we may be healed. In other words, if you don't value relationship with other believers enough that you build transparency and accountability with somebody, it says that you're stepping in the way of your own healing. Because why? Because we have this priesthood of believers that God has made for the church today to function in. I love when I see ministry taking place through everybody. I love when I see small groups having communion together. I love when people come and we're at baptism time. They say, can I baptize the one I led to the Lord? I'll get out of your way and let you baptize him. Absolutely. I'll stand behind there like I do. You know, he's like raising the hand like, yes, okay. Hope church is blessing this, but you baptize them. You step in. You get wet. You see, everything God has set up that we kind of put in this place where only certain people can do it. God says, no, you can have communion with your family. In fact, husbands and wives, I'll tell you, there's nothing greater than sitting out communion together. And so we commit our lives to Christ together. And we remember the blood and the body of Christ in our lives. You can point others to Jesus. As priests in this kingdom, we can go boldly before our God. Nothing's withheld from us in our relationship with him. But yet again, recognize God gifts us differently. And we're all called to walk in our gifts. I'm not going to stand before God and give an account for your gift. But I'm going to give an account for my gift. Mike, did you pastor well? Did you shepherd well? He's not going to say, Mike, did you, did you function in, in, in that gift of prophecy if I don't have that gift? Or did you function in the gift of healing if I don't have that gift? Are you going to function in the gift of tongues and interpret if I don't have that gift? But yet he's gifted all of us. And that's why the body of Christ is not whole unless all of us are functioning in the gifts we've been given. Because we are a kingdom of priests that God raised us up. What a privilege, right? But I also have to throw in there, it also comes with a huge responsibility. Let's wrap up on that today, all right? If we are a kingdom of priests, if we are a, a royal priesthood, if we are the priesthood of the believers, which we firmly believe and teach here at Hope, we have this incredible privilege, but we also have this huge responsibility. And the best way I know how to describe it is this. When we think of the privilege, we think of the responsibility, when it comes to how we live our lives, how we talk, how we view our possessions, how we use our time, how we view our sexuality, how we deal with anger. Here's how we have the responsibility. If you expect it of your pastor, you should expect it of yourself. I'm always amazed when something happens. I, and can you believe he was a pastor? And I want to go, can you believe they were a believer? Because if you expect it of this holy man that the culture set up, we should expect it ourselves. That's why I said when we walk, live in such a way they can't slander our witness. 
They, they can't speak badly of what we do because we're representing Christ everywhere we go. You see, church, we're priests. What a privilege. But let's walk out the responsibility. My, my thought as we close the day, really in wrapping this whole series up, is this. There are some today you absolutely need to hear from God. And you've struggled to find that place of hearing. And you may have even been led to believe that somehow someone else has to hear for you. And I want to clear it up today. We have the perfect high priest, Jesus Christ, who's praying for you. He has given us, the Father gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us, who will take God's word and make it real to us. But I understand there are times where it's hard to hear. In fact, when I see the gifts of word of knowledge or word of prophecy and things like this in the 1 Corinthians 12, what I recognize is there are times in our humanity we get to a place where we're so broken and we're so tired or we're so defeated even that we can't hear. And God loves us enough that he gifted someone else in our life to walk along and say, hey, let me say something here. I believe God may be saying this in your life. When we close in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be prayed over. Because maybe you just need to clear up that blockage in hearing. For others of you, you're wondering why you're not walking in the victory. You know all the stuff. You know all the detail. You know the word. You quote it. But it's just not functioning. And let me point you to the responsibility of saying, are you walking it out? God wants to help you. God wants to help you. He wants to empower you to be a witness. God wants to show you his way and not just your own strength. Too many of us are walking just in our own giftedness instead of the supernatural power of our God. And I learned a long time ago, your giftedness will only get you so far. But the power of God will accomplish his will perfectly whenever we allow him to work in our lives.